0: Well, good morning. I do hope you had a merry Christmas. I realized this morning I have two holiday traditions no matter what the holiday is. One, I eat a lot of food and gain a few extra pounds I didn't need. And two, by hanging out with my nieces and nephews, the human petri dishes, I always get a cold. So if you're like me, welcome. Looking forward to Easter. It's going to be good. So again, go to Hebrews 7.25 in your Bible if you haven't already. I wanna begin this morning by just asking a couple of questions. And how would you answer these questions? What is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing right now, today, in this moment? Or to think of it a little bit differently, does the fact that Jesus ascended and is in heaven right now matter for your life at all? The story of Jesus involves his Virgin birth, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his triumphant resurrection. But if the story stopped there, if there was no ascension, no reign, no intercession, would that matter at all? Well, this morning I want to talk about the intercession of Jesus and why that does matter. Instead of doing a one off sermon today, I thought I would continue our look at the life of Jesus. The last four weeks, um, week one, we talked about he was born. We looked at the virgin birth and the incarnation of the Son of God. And week two, he was tempted. We looked at the fact that Jesus endured temptation, he never sinned, and he was righteous. And then week three, we looked at he was crucified, that he died for our sins to restore us into a right relationship with God. So Jesus was born, he was tempted, and he was crucified. What you might notice is that all of those are past tense. And so it raises the question again for us as believers, what is Jesus doing right now? Well, today's title is, he is interceding. That's what he's doing. He's doing many things as the one who has ascended, but one of the main things in Hebrews is that he is interceding. We'll see that Christ's intercession for you is tied to his salvation of you. In other words, and I don't think we often think of this, your salvation as a believer is not just dependent on the past work of Jesus, but it's also dependent on the present ongoing work of Jesus. So today we'll only look at one verse, Hebrews 7.25, and we'll walk through kind of every word in that verse to see how Jesus is working on our behalf right now. Some good news and bad news. The good news is there's only one verse, so this could be a shorter sermon The bad news is Mark Geyer said it's our last one-service week, so preach as long as I would like. (laughs) I see a lot of kids, so I won't do that. Chris had a little panic on his face right there. (laughs) So look down at your Bible, um, and the very first word, notice how the sentence begins. The first word, consequently, reminds us that this verse has a context, and that it takes place toward the end of an argument. Throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is making the argument that Jesus is the final, the supreme, and the perfect Messiah that the people of God were looking for. Hebrews argues that Jesus is the better, the perfect fulfillment in every way. He is better than the angels. He is the perfect revelation of God. He is the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. And he is the ultimate and perfect and pure sacrifice for sins. So when we get here in Hebrews into chapter 7, he has been making the case that Jesus is our great high priest for two reasons. One, he is the only priest without sins. And two, it says he lives forever as a permanent priest, which means there's no end to his ministry. That will be important later on. So he has no sin, and his ministry never stops. So then when we get to this verse, verse 25, It's been summarizing the last three chapters and driving home the perfection of Christ's priestly ministry, especially his intercession for us as his people. And just by way of reminder, again, in in Hebrews, he's writing this as theology about Jesus. But not just theology for theology's sake, but theology that helps the weak and the tempted and the weary and the suffering and the persecuted. This strong theology of Jesus we'll talk about today is meant to be the thing that strengthens us to endure. So that's the context of our passage. Consequently, this is the end of the argument. And so let's look at our passage today. It says, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. So my outline is pretty simple. The first point is Jesus fully saves And then the second point will be Jesus always intercedes. First, Jesus fully saves. When it says here in our verse that Jesus is able to save, it isn't meant to convey a hypothetical possibility that Jesus could save or it's possible that Jesus will save. What this verse is saying is that Jesus is powerful to save, that Jesus will save, that Jesus will do this work. Here are a couple of examples in Hebrews where we see this. In Hebrews 2.13, it says, For since Jesus himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Again, he's saying he will come to you when you are tempted. Or Jude 1.24, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. What he's saying is Jesus will keep you from stumbling, not just it's possible. So Jesus is able to save us, meaning he is willing to do it, he is capable of doing it, he was powerful to do it, and Jesus promises to do it. He will save us. Now, just to clarify, salvation here, um, when we think of salvation, we usually just think of our past conversion when we believed in Christ. And it can mean that in the Bible. When we place our faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sins and restored to God, and we are given salvation. But other times in the Bible, it uses salvation language to describe the fullness of salvation, that when Christ returns, we will be made perfect, we will be glorified, and that Jesus will keep us. So in this verse, it's using that bigger word for salvation. It includes our full salvation, or the completion of our salvation, that which is still ahead of us. So Jesus is the one who will finish the good work he has started by saving us. Again, look down into your Bible. So not only is he able to save, but it says that Jesus is able to save us to the uttermost. To the uttermost might sound a little bit vague. I mean, you don't use that word very often. So if you have an NIV, it says, Jesus saves completely. If you have an NASB, it says, Jesus saves forever. Now, the ESV chose uttermost because it kind of combines both of those words, forever And completely Jesus is the pure and righteous sacrifice so he provides complete forgiveness but Jesus is also the permanent priest so he can save fully and forever Jesus saves to the uttermost completely fully and forever so the logical question for us to ask then is who does he save in this way does he save the wealthy The religious, the strong? Does he save the faithful? Does he save everyone in this way? You know, that promise that Jesus will save you to the uttermost, that's a beautiful promise. That's something I want. So how do we know if that promise that Jesus will save us completely applies? Well, the text tells us who he saves to the uttermost. It says simply, those who draw near to God through Jesus. It's those who put their faith in Jesus, those who trust in Jesus. It's those who bank their life on Jesus being their only hope. We don't draw near to God on our own, but we draw near to God through the work and the merit and the person of Jesus. We draw near to God because of who we are now in Christ. Christ brings us into the presence of God and he creates a unity between us as his children, and God as our Father. So we draw near through him. So if you are coming to God and you're putting your hope in Jesus, you're not relying upon your past, your church involvement, your goodness, your works, the prayers of someone for you. But if you're coming to God through Jesus, this promise applies to you. That God, through Christ, will hold you fast. He will save you to the uttermost, and he is powerful to do it. We'll see later that there is a close connection between Jesus's ability to save us and the last half of the verse, his ongoing work of interceding for us. The chapter has been building towards this verse, and it begins with a strong confidence in the fact that because of who Jesus is, because what Jesus has done in the past, and because of what Jesus is doing now, we can have confidence and hope and assurance in Jesus Christ. He will keep us, and he will save us. One of the songs we sang this morning, He Will Hold Me Fast, is a song I've been listening to this week. The first stanza says this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Maybe you're like me, and when you were singing that this morning, your heart just rejoiced and said, thank you. Thank you, Jesus, because I know my heart is cold, and I know I would not keep this, I would not keep going if it weren't for Jesus holding me fast. If it were based on my works, my strength, or even my faith, then this would be a short-lived salvation. But it's not based on me. It's based upon Jesus and the fact that he is able to save, powerful to save, he is committing to save you, and he will do it to the uttermost. So Jesus fully saves. So that's our first point. Jesus fully saves. And we'll transition now to our main point, the second point. Jesus always intercedes. So read the verse again with me. Consequently, Jesus is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. This third phrase, this last phrase in our, in our verse, it starts with the word since or because. And that means it's actually explaining the mode or the reason how Jesus does save us and keep us. This is the explanation of how he does that awesome work of saving his people. And the means by which Jesus saves us and holds us and keeps us and preserves us is his ongoing intercession. He does this continually and at all moments, which is why the text says he always lives to make intercession for them. It's the continual, ongoing, 24-7 work of Jesus. He always lives to make intercession for us, which means you are never alone, that Jesus is never off the clock, so there's never a moment where you can't turn to him. There's never a moment where he's not praying for you and interceding for you. You might not see it, you might not feel it, you might not even know it, but Jesus is always interceding For you, so we now need to ask: Well, what does it mean to intercede? Maybe we have a vague idea of what that looks like, but let's think through: What does it mean then, if Jesus is always interceding, and that's the means by which He saves us completely? What is this intercession? One definition of intercede is to urgently, passionately, and lovingly act on behalf of someone by bringing their request, their plea or their case before another person. One who is able to change their situation or come to their help. Now we experience this in modern day examples in small ways. You know, if someone has been mistreated or wronged or accused, they might hire a lawyer to intercede for them. Someone who can plead their case to a judge who has the power to change the situation. Or this could also work when it comes to Christmas gifts. Maybe you're like me and you have no clue what to buy some people in your life, especially your spouse when it comes to jewelry. So you might ask a friend, hey, can you figure out what Melissa likes and intercede by talking to her and helping to figure out what to buy her this Christmas. Now, one thing I learned this year is that a better way to do that is actually go on their Amazon search history and see what they've been looking for. (laughs) So that's a freebie to you men, Amazon search history, and you will never buy the wrong gift again. But one other way you could think about this, what does it mean to intercede, is a couple weeks ago, Melissa and I were trying to buy a new car, new to us. Now my brother, he's the CFO of a company that sells a lot of cars. Because of my relationship with my brother, he stepped in to make sure the salesman met me, helped me, and gave me everything I needed. He made sure the car was a reliable and safe one. He made sure we got the best price. He made sure we got all the discounts we could get. My brother didn't just say, hey, go buy a car. He actually stepped in, he got involved, and he actually even leveraged some of his influence to make sure we got all the benefits and all the help we could. Thankfully, as a brother, he actually did that out of delight because he wanted to help us. And so that's what it means to intercede for someone, to go to their defense, to help them, to aid them. And while that picture doesn't perfectly capture what it means for Jesus to intercede for us, because it is different, hopefully that gives a small window. As our high priest, Jesus stands with us and for us in the presence of God the Father, and he acts on our behalf. He pleads our cause, and he takes up our case, and he effectively works for us. He makes sure we have everything we need, and he prays for us, He intercedes for us so that we receive from the loving Father all the things we need for salvation, for life and godliness, and for drawing near. I want to quickly clarify one thing so we don't misconstrue this. This doesn't mean that Jesus stands before the Father and begs him to have mercy on us. The image isn't one of the Father being angry and Jesus kind of arm-wrestles him into being nice to us. That's not what it means when it says that Jesus intercedes before the Father. The picture throughout Hebrews and the whole New Testament is that Jesus' perfect sacrifice has already provided forgiveness, that it's already made us righteous, and therefore we are already accepted and loved and cared for by our Father. So Jesus isn't interceding to make the angry Father happy with us. He's simply standing and working with the Father to make sure his sacrifice is applied and we get all the benefits that he has purchased. So when we talk about Jesus being a mediator, an advocate, an an intercessor, it's not because the Father is against us and Jesus is coming to our defense. So get that notion and kind of move it out of your mind. What it means is that Jesus intercedes for us. He is continually and permanently working on our behalf. He takes it on himself as our intercessor to make sure we receive everything we need. Through his intercession, then he saves us, he keeps us, and he helps us. So that's a little bit of what it means for Jesus to intercede for us. And I just want to quickly give three examples from the New Testament. All three of these show up, but we'll actually focus on the third because it's the, it's the primary thing in our passage. So the first is that Jesus, as our mediator, he is the one who is the God-man uniting God and man together. He brings us into the presence of God. So, similar to how a priest in the Old Testament, make sure you go back. Okay, there we are. So, Jesus actually, it says, he brings us into the presence of God. In Hebrews 6, it says, he is a forerunner bringing us behind the curtain into God's presence. So, part of what it means for Jesus to intercede is that like the Old Testament priests, he represents us and brings us into God's presence. And that's why this language of drawing near in our verse and throughout Hebrews makes sense. Because he represents us before God. Because we are one, therefore we can draw near to God. Here are three examples of that in Hebrews. In 4.16, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. The next verse, 10.22, it says... Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. And finally, Hebrews 11:6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the point is that we are given new access and a new approach to God through Christ as the one who intercedes. He is our mediator who brings us in to the presence of God. This is how F.F. Bruce explained it. He said, The way of approach to God through Jesus is a way that is always open. Because in the presence of God, he represents his people as a priest forever. He is no mediator in the ordinary sense, a simple go-between who places his good offices at the disposal of two parties in the hope of bringing them together in agreement. He is the unique mediator between God and man because he combines Godhead and manhood perfectly in his own person. In him, God draws near to men, and in him, men may draw near to God with the assurance of constant and immediate access. So first, Jesus actually represents us and brings us into the presence of God. Not only does he do that, But Jesus actually advocates before us, before the Father. Several times in the New Testament, it talks about Jesus being our advocate. And as our advocate, that's one way that he intercedes for us. So when you you do sin, or when you struggle with guilt, or with shame, or with dishonor, you need to remember that Jesus is your advocate. And rather than listening to your accuser's lies, listen to the truth of your advocate. Here are two more verses where we see this show up. So the first is 1 John. It's kind of a famous passage. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And in the passage from Romans 8 that Chloe read, it's just a a beautiful passage. It says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, here's his answer, Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is even at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus intercedes for us as our advocate, the righteous one who provides forgiveness and his perfect righteousness. So when we sin, we're reminded that Jesus has paid for our sin. He provides cleansing from sin, and he himself is the one who mediates our relationship with the Father. So when you're tempted to think that God is against you, look to Jesus as your advocate. He's the reminder that God is for you, that you are accepted and you are loved, and that you draw near to him through Christ. One way I might say that is that because Jesus stands at the Father's side on our behalf as our advocate, as our intercessor when the father sees jesus he loves us all the more and since he sees jesus continually he is always loving us so when you look at jesus with the eyes of faith see our advocate who brings us into the favor and love of god and finally so we've seen jesus as our mediator who brings us into the presence of god our advocate who is our righteousness and defense and finally He intercedes by being the one who prays for us and cares for us. He is not just sitting in heaven. He is actively interceding. At the heart of this passage, Hebrews 7.25, and at the forefront of how Christ intercedes, it is that he cares for us as his own people so that we receive the things we need. And one of the main ways he does that is by praying for us. Again, here was a quote. It says, To intercede is to approach on behalf of others. And this is what Jesus does for us at the throne of the Heavenly Father. He represents us and pleads our cause. Indeed, in verse 25, to save is linked to intercede. Intercession is the means by which Jesus so thoroughly saves us, gaining us complete divine favor in every resource we need for our salvation without ceasing their streams forth from Jesus to the Father, the prayer of his love for everyone and every need of those that belong to him. His very person and presence is that prayer. So closely and inseparably is he identified with those he calls his brethren. Now this piggybacks on the idea throughout Hebrews that Jesus as our high priest is one full of sympathy and compassion and love and tenderness and care. To be our great high priest and to be our intercessor means that Jesus doesn't just fulfill a role like it's another day in the office, but he actually is one with this. And so he loves us and he cares for us. The reality conveyed in the New Testament is that Jesus describes us as his body and him as the, the groom and we are as his bride. And so this work of interceding isn't just something he's been asked to do, but he does it out of love out of care because we are one with him. So he acts on our behalf. He prays for us, and he prays the things we need most to be sustained and strengthened until the end. Let me give you just one example of where we see this kind of prayer in the actual life of Jesus from the Gospels. Think about the scene where Peter denies Jesus in Luke 22. Now, before Peter denies Jesus three times, Jesus tells him this will happen. He tells Peter that Satan is seeking to have Peter or to sift him out. But Jesus responds and says this to Peter, listen, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. So Jesus prays to the Father for Peter that God would keep him in faith and restore him. And we know that Jesus is sure this will happen because he then tells Peter that when you turn back to me after denying me, strengthen your brother's. So Jesus loves Peter, and though Peter will stumble and deny Jesus once, because Jesus has interceded for him, he will be strengthened, he will be held, and he will persevere. This then gives us a glimpse into what it means for Jesus to intercede for us as our great high priest. He prays prayers like that for us. So then how do you know that your weak faith will not dry up or that you won't shipwreck your faith? It's because Jesus intercedes for you, and Jesus will hold you fast. So how can you know that you'll make it through this trial that is so hard and so painful? It's because Jesus intercedes for you and is working for you even today. As you go through the trial, Jesus is working for you. How do we know that you'll make it, that you can fight sin, that you can find freedom from the thing that seems so powerful, so addicting, and so strong in your life? Because Jesus not only died for that sin, not only rose to set you free, but even now he is actively working on your behalf. Jesus offers you strength and help when we struggle against sin and are tempted. Jesus has help for whatever we need. So, part of why I wanted to preach this text is because I think the ascension and the reign and the intercession of Jesus is so important and so practical in her walk with Christ. We should live in light of the finished work of Jesus. We should remember the gospel, and we should apply the gospel. But we also need to live in light of the ongoing ministry of Jesus, that Jesus didn't just do things in the past and now it's gone, but Jesus is alive and active and working for you today, that he calls you to draw near to God through him, that he offers you help on a Monday and a Tuesday and a Wednesday in the moments of struggle and despair that Jesus is actively working as your advocate and as your intercessor. There are many applications to this, but let me just give you two as we close. The first would simply be draw near to God. Take that phrase and take it seriously, draw near to God. If you have one New Year's resolution, this should be it. The whole goal of our redemption and reconciliation to God is not just to get forgiveness, not just to be part of a church, not just to have the blessings and provision from God, but the goal is to get God himself. So this year, make your focus not simply to have a more organized life or even a more disciplined Christian life, but make your aim in everything that you draw near to God. So when it comes to how you're going to read your Bible, how you're going to pray, or what it means like to come in here on a Sunday morning, in all those things, make the aim drawing near to God. So pick one thing this year, one way you can draw near to God. It might not even be a new thing, just doing an old thing in a more intentional way. There's a last quote. This is from John Piper. He says, The great aim of the writer of Hebrews is that we get near God, that we have fellowship with him, that we not settle for a Christian life at a distance from God, that God not be a distant thought, but a near and present reality that we experience with the old Puritans called communion with God. Drawing near is not moving from one place to another. It is a directing of a heart into the presence of God, who is as distant as the holy of holies in heaven and yet as near as the door of faith. He is commanding us to come, to approach him, to draw near to him. The drawing near is something we can do continually and we do it with the freedom of a child who knows he is welcomed by the father and not those of employees who are worried that we're bothering the boss. God uses this language intentionally. He wants you to know that you are accepted, that you are loved, and therefore he has open arms and says, draw near to me. And second, a more specific application of drawing near to God through Jesus. Since Jesus always lives to make intercession for you, my prayer would be that you and I would turn to Jesus in our weakness. Not that we try to fix it first, not that we would even turn to one another first, but that we would go to the very one who intercedes for us. Jesus helps us when we are tempted, when we are weak, when we are struggling, when we are anxious, when we are worried, when we are in pain, when we are sorrowful, when we are anxious, and when we are frustrated. Jesus always lives in every moment, in every circumstance, in every need. He lives to intercede for you, which means whatever you're going through, whether it be a spiritual issue, a mental, a physical issue, you can turn to Jesus in those moments. You are not alone. So the care of Jesus is available at any moment. So whether you wake up and you don't know how you'll make it through the day or you're putting your head on the pillow frustrated from what happened, Even in those moments, Jesus says, come to me, draw near to me, know that I am praying for you. It's not all on your shoulders to carry this, to fix it, and to work it out. These things that are heavy and that are hard in your life, they're not meant to push you away from God, but to cause you to see that you can't do it on your own and that you have one who does intercede for you and he asks you to draw near. So this week and even today, my encouragement would be, in your moments of weariness, in your tiredness, in your struggles. Go to Jesus as your high priest, the one who intercedes for you and the one who cares for you. Would you pray with me? Father, I do know my own heart, and the words of that hymn are true, that my heart is often cold. God, I know that I am weak in faith, that I struggle with sin, with doubt that the mountains of life seem big and overwhelming. And so I am so thankful to know that Jesus is the one who holds me fast. My confidence is in him, that he will keep us, he will save us, and he will hold us to the end. So God, this week, as we, as we have new struggles, new joys, new opportunities, we we'll direct our hearts to you. Thank you that we can draw near and cause us to draw near. God, I pray as well that in our conversations with one another, in our conversation with a family member or a co or a neighbor who is struggling, that we would remind them that there is a Jesus, an intercessor who reigns in heaven now, and he offers to draw near. He offers to help. So Lord, take this truth and bury it deep into our hearts. Help us to believe it. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our intercessor. Amen.